throws near sideline, and it's intercepted. Intercepted, Kaylee Ringo at the 21, 15, 10, 5, touchdown, 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 Georgia. Think about Loa trying to make up for it. Fires to the end zone, touchdown, Alabama wins. Seth Small, 10 of 11 on the year, from 28 yards away for an Aggie upset win. Fifty-six yarder. It's got no. Does not have the leg. And Chris Davis takes it in the back of the end zone. There goes Davis. Oh my God! Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Auburn's going to win the football game. Welcome to Student Section, a student media poll podcast. Your home for all things SEC football. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Student Section. I'm your host, Jack Duffy. I am a student journalist at the University of Georgia. I am joined alongside, as always, by my co-host, Michael Hull, a student journalist at the University of Florida. Michael, it's Georgia-Florida week. Florida-Georgia week. Uh, no, it's Georgia-Florida week. We discussed this on the Alligator Sports podcast yesterday, yeah. which, hey, go listen to that if you, if you want more analysis on the Florida-Georgia game. Um, no, but it's Florida-Georgia week. And we are so excited. I'm hyped. I'll be there. Jack may or may not be there. Still TBD. And our guest will be there. And our guest will be there. We're joined today once again by the great Ryan Haley. Ryan Haley. Great. Aww. Shucks, great. Jack. Thanks. I, I was going nice. to say the slightly above average Ryan Haley. Above? Well, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say above average. Let's go. Yeah. Nice thing so, you've ever said to me, Michael. So, you know, whether it's it's above average slightly or or, or great, we have Ryan Haley on the show. Uh, once again, another student journalist from the University of Florida. I don't know You're why. You're outnumbered, I, baby. I don't know why I do this to myself on Georgia Florida Week, but I do it anyway. Ryan, how are you doing today? Um, it's a good question. I feel pretty good. It's been, I'm excited to come on this podcast. I always love getting to talk to you you guys. And uh, I feel like there's a correlation between episodes I'm on and longest episodes of the student section. So <laughs> definitely, definitely. I'm excited for, to, to ruin your afternoon plans. Yeah. So, you know, we have a lot to unpack with Georgia, Florida um, and the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. But first, before we get into that, we have week eight uh, and all the results there. A very like sparse slate when it comes to SEC football. I mean, a lot of teams on bye weeks. Um, but we did have one big sort of matchup with big implications in Ole Miss and LSU. So we're just going to kick things off with that one. Ole Miss came into this game in Baton Rouge as a 7-0 and team, number seven in the nation. Uh, seemed like everything was going well for, for Lane Kiffin. They were first to the SEC West, and everything kind of just fell apart in Baton Rouge, especially in the second half. Uh, LSU takes this game 45-20, to 20, which I don't think anybody really saw coming. Um, if the line was like three points, uh, I think Ole Miss was still favored, but it was only like three points. Um, but LSU came out and just blew the doors off of Ole Miss in this game after Ole Miss had taken a lead. Uh, so, Michael, I want to start with you. What did you see out of this game? And, and uh, do you think Ole Miss is fraudulent, or is LSU kind of coming into their own as the season goes on? Both, I think. 
like for the first six weeks of the season, LSU is not a good football team. And then lo and behold, you play the Florida Gators defense and all of your issues are figured out. I don't know how that happens. It's crazy. Um, but I mean, this was a 20 to 17 game um, entering the third quarter. And then after, after halftime, so these are the second half drives. Starting out, LSU punt, Old Miss punt. Then we go, LSU touchdown, Old Miss turnover on downs, LSU touchdown, Old Miss punt. LSU touchdown, Ole Miss turnover on downs, LSU touchdown, end of game. They end the game on a 28-0 run. Um, credit to Brian Kelly, credit to Jaden Daniels. Like, Jaden Daniels looked good in this game, um, and that's back-to-back weeks of really, really good performances from him. He had 121 yards and three touchdowns on the ground and 250 and two touchdowns through the air. Um, like, I think Kelly is – finally getting things figured out there. I think it took longer than LSU fans may have wanted it to, um, but it's almost like you come into a new situation and there's a reason the old head coach was fired. It takes time. Uh, and I still think it'll take time for this team. I still don't think they're there yet, um, but it's going to come down to, you know, probably Bama LSU for the SEC West title, um, which Bama may have not looked like Bama this year, but I still think they can handle this LSU team. Um, and then as far as Old Miss goes, man, that was just a weird game. That's a weird. It was game. just it was a weird game for Old Miss. Um, a defense that had looked better at times this year than it has in years past, kind of reverted to the 2019-2020 old old miss defense form. Um, yeah, so give the give the flowers to LSU, but man, a bad performance from Old Miss. Yeah. Uh, and Ryan, we, we kind of talked before the podcast uh, about Jaden Daniels and, and what LSU was doing on offense. And it's somehow finally clicking because it doesn't seem like they've really changed things up. It's more or less that it's working against the opponents they're playing. Uh, so I want to hear your thoughts on this LSU team and, and their performance uh, against Ole Miss this weekend. Yeah, so my computer is currently actively trying to explode because my Wi-Fi connection is not awesome here. Okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm just like just looking through it was something we talked about earlier was the big knock on LSU through the first couple of weeks uh, was aerial passing game and their ability to kind of become a three-dimensional offense and become a three-dimensional football team. And it makes sense when you look at Jaden Daniels game logs of looking through, I mean, the, the FSU game initially in week one, um, I, there we go. Thank you. I mean, FSU game, he still played for like decently well, 25, 34, but like this isn't. So the first, uh, sorry, I will restart my point because I'm mumbling through it because of my, the Wi-Fi. Uh, LSU's first uh, four games against power five teams. They scored 23 points in a loss to FSU, 31 points in a win over Mississippi state, 21 points in a win over Auburn and 13 points in a loss, like a blowout loss to Tennessee. And in each of those games, Jaden Daniels threw for like, he threw for 209 yards against FSU, 210 yards against Mississippi state, 80 yards against Auburn on only 20 attempts and 300 yards against Tennessee, a game that he threw 45 times because they were down for a lot of it. And then 
trying to take the team stats there, like you would, so you would think that, like you would have thought looking at those point totals that Jaden Daniels was having a bad season. And he was efficient. He just wasn't getting that high a usage. So you would think that either his usage has gone up or something the last two weeks. It hasn't. He's only thrown 32 and 28 passes the last two weeks. He's completing slightly more. His season average is 70%. He's completed 72 and 75 the last two weeks. And he's only thrown five of his 12 touchdowns the last two weeks. So this isn't like Jaden Daniels is having an unsustainably great two-game stretch. Like they're not LSU is not changing his usage a whole lot through the air. They're not really changing their play calling style. It's just getting more effective as the season goes on. And a lot of the big knock on LSU the last two years has been a lot of their like they're they obviously don't have Jamar like Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Joe Burrow. They're not walking back through that door, but they've been more talented than they have shown the last couple of years. Like obviously, uh, Keishon Booty has had his vocal issues with the program uh it feels like every week but or vocal quote unquote but it it they're not really doing anything different is the like the thing that i would say and there's also part of my caution against it too in terms of like why i am hesitant to give lsu who as jack pointed out does control their own destiny in the sec west why I'm hesitant to really get bullish on LSU is Florida has the worst third down defense in the country. Ole Miss, as Michael said, has had a past of bad defenses that look like they kind of regressed to. And LSU might be, is probably the best offense Ole Miss has faced so far this season. I mean, I know Ole Miss, I know Ole Miss is like real statement victory was Kentucky, but Kentucky was never an offensive firepower. Like, like powerhouse that's never been what got Kentucky into the rankings and so it's just a little hesitant for me to see LSU not really look like they're doing anything differently just be really efficient with what they are doing and have it improve and make me think it's anything other than like them playing two defenses that are just not good enough to stop them so LSU's always like point of this long ramble that I don't really know. I, I, I kind of found where I was going as I was going along. I saw, sorry for the amount of time it was, but it, it feels more like LSU is playing teams that they could kind of bend to their will rather than Brian Kelly is like chipping away and gradually figuring out what this team should be doing. Like I would be, I would be infinitely more bullish. And I'm not saying that, LSU and Brian Kelly are bad. They're obviously not. They're six and two. They're ranked. They deserve to be ranked. They have talent. I would be more bullish on them in a big game like Bama and more bullish on them going forward under Kelly's tenure if it looked like they were like using trial and error on offense. Yeah. But it just looks like Jaden Daniels is like efficient. In some games, he's hyper efficient. And they're just going with the same stuff and it's like gradually working more as the season goes, which is makes sense under talent, but it, it, it just looks like LSU is getting better at enforcing their will. Yeah. And, and I think as the season goes on, I, I think, you know, the expectations for LSU should still be a little bit tempered uh, while they do control their own destiny. I really don't see this team 
lining up against Alabama and, and going in and, and winning that game. Um, unless Alabama has a, a lot of uncharacteristic mistakes or at this point in the season, it might be characteristic based on how Alabama has been playing. Um, but if Alabama has a rough game offensively, Bryce Young is, it doesn't have it all together, then I could see it. But I think that Bama has to lose that game against LSU more than LSU can win that game against Bama. So I, that's why I temper my expectations for them. It's a great win uh, against this Ole Miss team. I think Ole Miss, like we said, was a little a resilient win. Yeah. Uh, I think Ole Miss is a little untested, like we were saying, and, and this was like their first big test night game or road game uh, in, in Death Valley. It was not a night game. Um, but, you know, Ole Miss was still a good team. So LSU deserves some credit for that one. Speaking of more games out of week eight, Michael, we have to talk, unfortunately, about our Vanderbilt Commodores. Um, do we? I, I think we do. We do. Yes. I my mean, lock they covered. The they, they covered. Covered. So my lock of the week, which was Missouri minus fourteen, did not hit. I'm one of seven in my locks of the week. I, uh, mine didn't hit either, I don't think. So I think what, was, was what, was, what was the one that hit I'm, again? I think I'm three and four now, maybe. Uh, my The one that hit was Kentucky covering against Ole Miss, which they did. Uh, it was Barely. Like, Barely. Kentucky was a five-and-a-half-point underdog. And they, they lost by like three. That that's a fair that that kind of feels like free money. That's just a really bad line. Yeah. So I I did not I have not done well on my locks of the week this season. And my mystical powers seem to have not worked for this game. Vandy, I could not will you to a fourth victory. And I take responsibility for that. Clark Lee, you did your best. I mean, this was as as close as you were gonna get it against Missouri. Uh I, a fumble recovery for a touchdown really brought them back into this game, Vanderbilt. Uh, Missouri in the first half really dominated this game, but but Vanderbilt, as resilient as they are, came back and in the final minutes had the ball with a chance to take the lead. And that's what really stings for us Commodore faithful here. Uh, they had the chance to get to four wins last week, and they, they could not take advantage. Michael. Do you have any words on, on this Commodore fight and, and how you see the rest of the season for Vanderbilt going? I mean, listen, man, four win Vandy just got a lot tougher. It did. It did. But this team, this team is full of fighters. They're full of fighters. They don't back down. They don't surrender. They're down 17-0 in that second half. They came back. They fight. They do fight. And you can't take that away from them. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Um, and these guys, yeah, they have three ranked opponents left in their last four games. You know, it may not, it may not happen. Our our beautiful four-win bandy prophecy may not may not come to fruition, but it also might, because who knows about South Carolina? Maybe they're not all we thought they were. They, they are. South Carolina is a very good team. Um, man, this was heartbreaking. I was in the woods on Saturday, so I wasn't able to watch much college football, but I was following along with this game with the limited cell service I had. And Michael texted me in the fourth quarter 
what the score what what is the score of the Vandy Mizzou game and I was like it's 14-17 Missouri with three minutes left and Missouri had the ball so I texted him Missouri ball and like instantly as I send that Vanderbilt gets the ball back I'm like oh my god it's gonna happen uh did not happen it didn't happen and I'm heartbroken I want to apologize to all of Commodore Nation um we were hoping for a four win season that was our goal I promise you you'll never find another podcast that roots harder for Vanderbilt that we will root harder for Vanderbilt in 2023 um I just you'll never find another podcast that works harder in supporting our beloved Commodores than we will yeah um thank you just the rest of the season yeah thank you god bless you know i'm gonna i'm gonna pull up lebron right now when he went to miami um next year 2023 vandy's gonna win not one not two not three not four not five they're gonna be not six they're gonna be bowl eligible next year vanderbilt i agree i'm calling it right now i will i will sign i will sign on on that take with you i agree we're coming back with a vengeance next year people talk about revenge tours uh we're taking one with the commodores next year so be ready for that i just <sighs> ryan would you like to add any words to our vanderbilt eulogy i mean i don't know i don't know what there is that it is a eulogy it's not a eulogy it, it, I, it is, it should be a eulogy. It, like in, in all sense of the word, it was a eulogy. You, you both gave a five minute eulogy and at the end of it, and we're like, all right, we'll see him at work next Monday. Like, no, you got 99% of the way there and then immediately balked on the eulogy. So, I mean, I don't know. I really, I hope you're right about 2023. I want to see all eligible Andy so bad. I do too. It would it would it would make me happy. It'd bring me joy. Michael, they would legitimately like they ha- they would have to beat Florida. Like that has to be the win this year for four for four win Vandy to happen. They're for playing four South- win Vandy to happen. I mean, yes. I didn't want to. I didn't want to point maybe, that out. Maybe South Carolina. Maybe I'm Tennessee, still not. Tennessee is a rivalry game. Tennessee. I'm is a still not. I'm still not sold on South Carolina, but I also had spent the last six weeks saying how much I thought LSU was bad. And they've had like 98% of their available yards the last two weeks. So I, and then I went on a tangent of, I still don't feel like I'm wrong. That made no sense. So maybe you should just not listen to my takes about LSU and South Carolina football anymore. You know, and speaking of South Carolina football, we might as well just segue into the game this, this past week. Uh, They beat Texas A&M at this point. I'm not sure how much of a compliment that is anymore. Texas A&M is a dumpster fire at the moment. They've got players suspended. They, uh, their freshmen that came in from their, their number one class are bickering. They're, they're not being able to fully be a cohesive team. Jimbo's seems to have lost control. Uh, and they lose to South Carolina in Columbia. Michael, what, what do we think of this South Carolina win over Texas A&M? And, I mean, our – how, how is Texas A&M going about Jimbo Fisher when he has a $95 million buyout at the moment? That's a great question. I mean, Texas A&M fans are not happy. Um, players are transferring out with this new NIL rules that are being put into place. Like just today that were announced, 
um, A&M's recruiting strategy is basically out the window because now they can't sign or they, they can't align NIL deals to players and they can't handle the finances for them. So the players are basically on their own. And that's how, that's how A&M got all of these guys was they were setting up all of those NIL deals for them. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens with this team. Um, yeah, they're, they're now three and four, which I don't think anyone expected um, going in, going like if you're back at the start of the season, looking seven weeks in, and them to be three and four. They're like you said, they're a dumpster fire. Um, and shout out South Carolina, like 30 to 24. Spencer Rattler was not good. He completed less than 50% of his passes, but like I, I think we're beyond the point of saying Spencer Rattler's <laughs> not good. South Carolina's just like got the dog in them. Um, that's Heisman trophy winner Spencer Rattler to Ryan Haley. According so. to Ryan Haley. <laughs> Um, he just rolled his eyes so hard. <laughs> oh yeah, they, they they rolled all the way back in his head and then back out. Um, I am not going to get shamed on this podcast for picking the preseason favorite to win the Heisman in the preseason after you both just predicted Vandy to go bowling next year. Vandy will go bowling next year. That's not a prediction. That's, That's the a- thing. That's the difference between you and I, right? Is you pick Spencer Rattler to be the Heisman. I pick Vandy to be eligible. I give the people what they want. <laughs> we give hot takes. Yeah. That's the only uh, place you give, you're going to. You give hot takes. I give, I give like safe takes that somehow turn out wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, good win for South Carolina. I have no idea what Texas a is going to do because they're, they're kind of in purgatory right now. I mean, I saw a stat. I don't remember who it was or the exact numbers, but it was Jimbo Fisher's record at FSU with Jameis Winston versus without Jameis Winston. And it was basically that he's a mediocre coach without one of the best college quarterbacks of the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, and his buyout is $95 million for Texas A&M. So they are locked into this guy. And I mean – we kind of predicted this in our preseason prediction. I mean, I can't remember what their exact win total was set at, but we immediately said take the under. Uh, I did not see this this Texas A&M team contending this year, although I did not see them being as hellish as they are this year. They are literally just completely Yeah, can you imagine – can you imagine being the moron who ranked them fifth in their preseason poll? God, that'd be so stupid to do. Who would have done that? <laughs> I, don't know, uh, I don't know what you're talking what about there, man. I, should, Pat, I should really, Pat, should take their, Pat should take that guy's ballot away. It'd be, oh. even, it'd be even worse if he had Notre Dame four or something. Yeah, 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 totally. We, we love preseason favorites to do things. <laughs> um, Notre Dame would be a top five team if uh, their quarterback hadn't gotten hurt. Yeah. Totally. Hey, <laughs> I won't get into my love for Drew Pine. This is an SEC podcast. Yeah. So, Ryan, I want to hear your take yeah. on Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M. And, and oh, because you, we've heard your take about South Carolina and how it's unreliable. Oh, um, no. Let's hear your take about Texas A&M and what, what you think about the dumpster fire that's currently happening in College Station. I just... <sighs> Since the day, like since the day Jameis Winston lifted that national championship trophy at FSU, 
Has any coach in college football consistently gotten less out of more from their recruiting classes? I know 2022 is like historic, best recruiting class of all time. And there are whispers about a bunch of stuff going on in the locker room with a bunch of those recruits. I'm not going to touch any of that with a 10-foot pole on this podcast. Unsubstantiated. No journalists I trust to talk about it. Rumors are rumors. I'm not touching them. But I know 2022 was supposed to be the class. They've been a top five recruiting class, like, consistently. Like, it's it's always, like, the sexy take in the SEC to be like, just wait two years for A&M. What, next year for A&M? Come on, you know? Like... And it, I don't know. I, this is veering into like personal territory. So like, I'm trying to be, be careful about it. I just, I don't know if Jimbo has the people around him to check him, if that makes sense. I don't I, – it feels like it's Jimbo's program run Jimbo's way. And that's just dangerous. It's so dangerous. And I don't really know – I don't know. Like, at, at what point do you get more talent, you know? Like, at, at what point do you get a better chance at Bama? At what point do you get a better chance at what you've, like, he beat Bama last year. Like, the entire, your entire goal in the SEC West is to be able to do what he did a season ago. And he proved last year and this year, and that's, that's the part that baffles me a little bit is he proved last year in College Station and this year in Tuscaloosa that he has the talent and he has the coaching chops to hang with Nick freaking Saban. Why do you have a losing record? Why are you winning less than 10 games? You can't do both of those things. Even, even Kirby, before Kirby won a national championship, the entire knock on Kirby is that he kept getting close to Saban but couldn't really knock him off. So it was like, oh, like Kirby gets all the top two recruiting classes, top three recruiting classes. Kirby has the talent to beat Saban. He builds big leads, but he can't close the deal. We were getting on Kirby about it. And Kirby was winning 10 games and going to New Year's six bowls every year. Like Kirby was still beating Florida five times out of six. Like Kirby was doing all the other stuff right. He just couldn't get that last part of it. And that's the part that baffles me the most about Jimbo is he'll get close to the white whale. Like, he'll get close to Moby Dick and, like, even throw a harpoon every once in a while that sticks. And he just can't do anything else. I mean, he's got, like, what, like, the same record as Kevin Sumlin, essentially? Maybe even a little worse? It's after probably this last worse game? at this point, I think. Like, that... Hold on, let me find this real fast. But, yeah, to your point, I mean, having those expectations when you have all those recruiting classes, that's to be expected. It's just even if their number one recruiting class wasn't going to make an impact this year, they were never going to make an impact this season. They've had top five recruiting classes the last three. 
you should yeah. be, you should be able to be a top ten team with that level of talent. Yes, absolutely. I'm trying to look through like the rankings beyond that too. Like since he's been there, and it's, I mean, I don't know. Like you, and I think the most ex- inexcusable part of that the the recruiting aspect of it is that you've been able to recruit so well except you just can't find your quarterback. You have such a, a detriment at quarterback that it, it basically derails your entire offensive uh, uh, system. For, but, like, even even when he had Kellen Mond, you know, mm-hmm. who, like, I don't think Kellen Mond is, like, incredible, but he was, a for like, a day-two draft pick kind of guy. Like, even then, he never – I mean – 2020 they go nine and one they only played 10 games i get it he never won 10 games with kellen mock yeah jimbo hasn't won 10 games in a season at AM. come on that's like that's not even like you bring in jimbo and you give him that contract to win the sec west yeah consistently that's what that's the point of being jimbo fisher he has one season with less than four losses, and it's COVID. Yep. What are we doing? You know, like what and are you building towards? At what, at what point are you going to have more talent than you've had? You have five top five recruiting classes in a row. Your roster's not going to get much notably better. And it's just the inexcusable. They lose three games they shouldn't every year. Yeah. And it's like just it's gotta be something in the preparation or something in the coaching. It it, it kind of reminds me of Dan Mullen a little bit. Except Dan like, Mullen's buyout wasn't $95 million. Yeah, and Dan Mullen and like Jimbo can recruit. But like in terms of like when Dan Mullen was at Florida talking about it pregame, like trying to make analysis and break it down. When there was a team that Florida was notably better than, it felt like there was this weird sense of dread among media mm-hmm. of like, oh, this is going to be a 10-7 game at halftime. Whether it was Vandy or Kentucky before they had Levis or Mizzou, Mizzou or Samford, like when Florida had a like significant talent advantage, there was this weird feeling of dread just around Gainesville because like it gets to the point where people are more afraid of losing when they shouldn't be. And AM feels like it's just been there for the entire time. And like he didn't inherit a program in ruin. Sumlin went eight and five, eight and five, eight and five, seven and six in the four years before. This is not like Jimbo's rebuilding a program from scratch and winning eight or nine games. He is uh, with top five recruiting classes. He is elevating this team by like a win or two. And it doesn't look like the culture's getting notably better. I don't know. I just I don't know what your end game is if you're A and M. And I mean, like I said, I think you're stuck too because 
Uh, I'm not sure that your pockets are really that deep to to pay his buyout and and, no. and get him out if that's really what you have to do. Um, nope. You can't. You you can't. <laughs> that's and that's I think we're seeing that now with some of these big coaching contracts, especially Jimbo coaches like Mel Tucker at Michigan state, just like coaches that are, are getting locked into these huge deals at like writing one good season or writing one national championship. They won in 2013, 2014, um, that they're just, it's, it, there's a risk to that. And if they haven't shown success recently, that, that there might be. Jimbo. Sorry, I cut you off. Um, no, go, go for it. Jimbo has, started each of the last four seasons ranked in the AP poll, like ranked 13th or higher in the AP poll preseason. He has ended three of those four seasons. Assuming this season goes the direction it's currently headed, he's ended three of those four seasons unranked. This is two straight years. He started off with the sixth ranked team in the AP poll, and we can get into whether or not they were overranked. But people had to look at this roster and see something. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure I'm saying nothing that hasn't been said on this podcast in the weeks before, but it's just it's baffling bad. It's how bad. it keeps happening. It's bad. it's bad. It's bad. And I don't know that there's an end in sight, at least this season. Um, I think, I mean, they play Ole Miss in this upcoming week. We're going to about to dive into week nine. Uh, I don't know that they win that game, uh, even though it's at Col- college station at Kyle field. Um, there just doesn't seem to be an end in sight and the sky seems to be falling there. So who knows how that plays out? Um, it's, it's very interesting. Like they need to do a case study on his time at, at Texas A&M because uh, it's been mind boggling to see that level of talent go to waste, but let's, let's, let's bring it back into the, the football side of things and the uh, week nine we have coming up. We have Georgia, Florida. We, Boys, we're here to Florida, talk Georgia. Florida. We're here to talk. Right, can we just do Florida. like can we just do like rock paper scissors right now between Michael and Jack and just be done with it? <laughs> uh, no, because it's Georgia, okay. Florida. We I will never be done with Florida, Georgia. Georgia, Florida. Florida, Georgia. So you're okay. I vote. We have a vote. Michael and I say Florida, Georgia. You've been revoked. My, Ryan, leave, leave the leave the <laughs> <Wait>. podcast right <laughs> now. <laughs> no. Uh, oh, he's gone. No, I'm kidding. Um, we have Georgia, Florida this week and in Jacksonville, Georgia is a 22 and a half point favorite, which is the biggest line. I think I read a tweet that said it was the biggest point spread in like the last 40 years of this game, 22 and a half, Michael, we talked about it on the alligator sports podcast. So go listen to that. But Michael, I mean, does, does Florida have a shot? I mean, they have a good shot to cover. I think 22 and a half is a lot of points in a rivalry game like this. But that defense is not going to keep this within 10. There's no way. It's going to be a double-digit loss for Florida. Um, The only way I can see them possibly by some miracle, which we talked about a lot yesterday, is if Anthony Richardson has a Heisman-level game um, like Utah times two. He needs to absolutely put the team on his back because no one else is going to do it. And he 
shown flashes the last few weeks. Um, played pretty well in that second half against LSU. Looked good against Tennessee. Obviously, Utah week one. Um, really, besides that Kentucky and USF games, he's really kind of gotten back on track a little bit. Um, he's only thrown the ball 170 times this year. Like, this is a run-heavy team, um, which you know, and we were talking about yesterday, the Georgia secondary is kind of the strength of this defense this year. Um, so maybe that plays into Florida a little bit. Um, the best the best chance Florida has is a weird touchdown, whether it's special teams, defense, that's not going to happen, but something like that. Um, and then just ground and pound, keep the ball out of Georgia's hands and hope Anthony Richardson goes sticko mode. But I don't see all of those things happening. Um, I think Georgia's just just too dominant, even though I don't think Stetson Bennett will perform well because I think Florida lives in his head rent-free if you judge by the last two Florida-Georgia games. Um, but no, I think Georgia's just too talented for Florida this year. Yeah, I, I agree. And the 22-and-a-half-point spread, I was kind of surprised by just because, like, uh, the atmosphere of a rivalry game and it being the biggest point spread in the last 40 years or so kind of points to that. I feel like I just like, uh, I think it's interesting how much Florida's kind of the gap between Georgia and Florida right now uh, is so large, but like Michael was saying, I think there is one factor to this game that could hurt a young Georgia defense. And that is Anthony Richardson being mobile and opening up passing lanes because they have to respect Anthony's ability to, to scramble and, and run out of the pocket because this Georgia defense hasn't been good at closing on the quarterback and getting sacks. They've been able to, to get pressure and, and make quarterbacks uncomfortable uh, most notably in the Auburn game or, or uh, the Vanderbilt game, but not being able to, to finish the job when you, you, move a quarterback out of the pocket is fine unless you're playing a, a mobile quarterback that can go beyond the sticks. And, and that's exactly what Anthony Richardson can do. He can make plays with his legs. So if Anthony Richardson goes off, I could totally see this being a close game and Georgia's offense being inconsistent as we've seen. Um, if that happens, I could see this game potentially going into upset territory in the fourth quarter. I don't think it, it will. I think the, Kirby's MO and his time at Georgia has been beat Florida. He, he was a player for Georgia in the nineties when, when Florida was just absolutely dominant over Georgia. And so he knows, he knows this game very well. He, he wants to win this game more than anybody. Uh, and so I think Georgia will be ready to play, even though they have a, a huge matchup looming with Tennessee in the next week, um, they'll be ready to play. And I think they'll have an answer for Anthony Richardson because Beyond AR, Ryan, you can talk about this a little bit more. Beyond AR, the Florida offense doesn't have much other than their running backs, I would say. I was going to say, uh, Montreal Johnson and Travis Etienne are, I think, averaging about seven yards a carry between them Yeah. right now. Um, it's actually really funny. If you look at the SEC leading rushers, um, you can immediately tell who is from Florida because everyone's like five yards to carry, five yards to carry, five yards to carry, seven, five yards to carry, five yards, seven. And it's like, I think Anthony Richardson, Travis Etienne, and Montreal Johnson all have 600 rushing yards this year or more. And they are like 
all leading like those high usage rushers in yards per carry in the conference. Um, no, Michael kind of stole my thunder a little bit and like Florida's path to victory of it needs to be a low scoring game and Florida needs to basically make it 21 20 and hope that Georgia like muffs a punt. Like they need to make it a scrap and need to make Georgia make a mental error. Um, which is how upsets work, but that's the territory you're in is you're going for upsets. I do think while I don't have any proof of creativity at this point, I do think it's worth noting that a Florida team being four and three, everyone in and out of the building knows that the entire measure of success for this team is be, like, if you could somehow beat Georgia. And so having a bye week if there's going to be a week where florida just does weird stuff it's it's gonna be saturday um so i'd i'd be on the lookout for that any trick plays the last page of the playbook is probably going to come out in the first two quarters and just hope that it works um i don't i don't trust florida's receivers against uh like mizzou's secondary so i don't know what they're going to do against georgia's yeah um this is going to have to be like a strong suit Florida's going to have to hold the ball for 40 minutes to win this game. Yeah. Like, I don't really know what other path there is. They're going to need – they're going to need – their secondary, Jason Marshall and uh, Jaden Hill, need to have basically the best games of both of their careers so far. Um, Amari Bernie needs to somehow make Brock Bowers look human, which nobody else has done. Um, that's That's the hard part in my head is, like, I know there were a bunch of turnovers, but like this Florida defense outside of the last two minutes, the second quarter did a decent job holding Georgia's offense last year. Georgia's offense is much better now. Yeah. And that's the part that kind of scares me is I am now less concerned with, I think Florida can get to 14 or 20 points. I am now much more concerned that that would be enough because last year, that was my thought of like, oh, if Florida gets like three touchdowns, it might be enough. And for most of that game, it looked like it could have been. That's not going to be the case this year. They're going to need to get close to 30, and I don't know if they have the firepower to do that. Yeah. And I think it is – it speaks to Georgia's progression on offense, although like we saw in the Missouri game, this is Georgia-Missouri, uh, where they won 26-22. to 22. Missouri. I mean, they they gave the game plan for other teams that are trying to upset Georgia. It's just play a bend, don't break defense. Make Georgia kick field goals in the red zone when because they're going to get to the red zone. Just make sure they kick field goals instead of scoring seven. Uh, and then having a few uh, turnovers, making Stetson Bennett throw and make mistakes because Georgia is – most at risk for losing games when Stetson Bennett throws an interception or, or fumbles the ball trying to scramble. Uh, I mean, we've said it since last year on this podcast. When Stetson Bennett makes mistakes, Georgia's probably going to lose. Uh, and that happened in the SEC championship game uh, back in 2021. And, I mean, that's the only time they lost. Luckily, this year – he's made a few mistakes and, and the teams, the talent that he's made mistakes against, they haven't been able to capitalize as well. Missouri though, I think provided a blueprint 
to how you upset Georgia, to show how you upset Georgia. Um, and I think Florida needs a similar type of game for that to happen. I agree, but the two things on that path, like Georgia's averaging 200 rushing yards a game. That's the part, like the two, the two ways that you screw, like for lack of a better, like for lack of a better phrase, screw with Georgia's game script, like the way they want to play football are make them not move the ball efficiently on the ground or get ahead two scores. And Missouri did the first thing and it nearly worked. They forced it to, they forced Georgia to kind of become an air raid offense under Stetson Bennett because they needed to make up a multi-score deficit in the, in the second half. Yeah. I don't trust Florida to do the second thing. Florida's rush defense is very not good so it's far. Very, I mean, South, South good. Florida gashed them. They're 11th in the SEC. They, they average 185 rushing yards per game. And this is probably the most talented offensive line they're going to face. And probably the best run game they faced so far this year. Would probably. you agree with that, Michael? Yeah, like, I mean Kentucky was down Chris Rodriguez and their backup running back. And they're yeah, and they're and they're still averaging seventy yards, seventy yards less. I mean LSU would be the only one comparable, and LSU ran rampant over Florida. LSU did not like LSU punted once against Florida. Did they? Did they punt? Oh yeah, they had one punt. Yeah, they had, they had one. one punt, one punt. So. I just don't like Florida needs to get ahead early because I don't trust Florida to shut down Georgia's running game. And the only other way to get the ball in Stetson Bennett's hands and make his decision-making what controls the game is to get Georgia off their game script. And they're not going to do that by holding Georgia on the ground for the whole game. They're going to they're gonna then make, make Stetson pass. They're going to do it by getting ahead. And I don't trust them to do that. Yeah. And it'll be interesting. I, I, I do think, uh, in recent weeks, especially after Georgia's played Auburn and Vanderbilt, they've kind of gotten their offensive flow back. Um, they it helps. Of, it helps after playing Auburn and Vanderbilt. It does. It does. And like they they found their rhythm once again. It's because like the first the games against Kent State and Missouri, they kind of felt like they were just sputtering and, and it wasn't the efficiency wasn't there. They weren't able to get the run game going at the same time they were getting the pass game going. Um, and so I think Georgia will come out strong. And to Ryan's case, that should probably prove to be deadly to Florida's game plan uh, of trying to make Georgia play catch up. In my head, this is like a 38 to 20 kind of game because I think Florida can score 14 to 20, like you guys were saying. Uh, I just, I, I think Georgia's offense is averaging close to 40 points a game. Um, and that they will continue to do that. And that will continue to prove to be the trend. And 38 to 41 is kind of where I see Georgia scoring. And I only see Florida putting up about three touchdowns. Michael, I, I'm, I'm sure you probably, I think you said you had the same sentiment on the alligator pod yesterday. But yeah, I think I forget exactly what I said around there. I think I said like 35, 21, something around there. Like I don't think Georgia covers, but I don't think it's close. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the world's largest outdoor cocktail party this year. A little bit 
of a blowout looks to be impending, but anything happens. These games are played on paper. Georgia almost lost to Missouri this year. So uh, could, could be the weekend that Florida finally gets a win over a top five Georgia for the first time in this series history. Um, they are Georgia's six and zero in instances where they're top five against Florida. So on stat, I might, I might be saying they're due by saying that. Um, but are you going to take, are you going to take Georgia plus minus 22 and a half as your lock? No, I'm not. I actually am not because I know better than to do that to myself. I'm going to take Florida plus 22 and a half. They're going to cover, Howard. which Howard. means Georgia, Georgia's blowing them out. Howard, <laughs> you know, okay, this Jack's trying to use the reverse jinx, which means it's going to backfire. Uh, you can't, you, you can't use it consciously. I, I am doing your, what your I powers. Must. Your powers only work when you are legitimately and inconspicuously trying to predict a team to cover or not cover. Well, when you I, have any, my me- score prediction state, was thirty-eight to twenty. I think Florida's going to cover anyway. Four and a half, a four and a half point discrepancy, though. You're betting a lot on the spread. I am. This, I, am. I, I could, I could see this being like a 28-21 game, and I could see it being like forty-five-three. Yeah. Like, yeah. This could get really ugly, about, really. The thing fast. about Georgia too is like the win against Oregon now looks like one of the best wins in the country, and it gets yeah. better every week. They they beat a top ten, a current top ten team by forty six points. Like, has anybody had discounting Jimbo? Has anybody's reputation been like kind of affected this year more than Mario Cristobal? Oh, that yeah. I mean, that's tough. I mean, I think Dan Lanning's the guy, but, like, that's tough. Yeah, and he's not doing so hot at Miami. No. Not at all. But speaking of which, there's there's really one more game I wanted to talk about this week. The rest are kind of uh, iffy. Kentucky and Tennessee. Tennessee also having that big matchup ahead in a week against Georgia. Could they be sleepwalking through this game? Kentucky – comes in as as 12 and a half point underdogs michael i want to hear your take on this game and, and what you expect to see they definitely could be they definitely could come in and sleepwalk i don't think that would shock anyone especially for <clears throat> a team that hasn't really experienced this level of success in 20 years um i wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if they started this game slow i do think that the talent of tennessee will win out in the end and then hooker's only thrown one interception all year he has 18 touchdowns to one interception. Like that's Aaron Rodgers level of touchdown to interception ratio. Um, and it, I think it does help that they had kind of the, the week off, um, obviously playing UT Martin. So they had a week in between the Bamba game. I think if this game was last week, I think I would have maybe predicted a Kentucky upset, but I still don't think Will Levis is that good. I think the Kentucky defense is going to be the second best defense Tennessee plays this year. Um, or probably third. I think Bama's defense is probably a little better. It's close, not really sure, but obviously Tennessee sauce like Georgia. Um, but no, I think Tennessee, they might come out slow, but I think they'll do more than enough to win. It's a 12 and a half point spread from what I'm seeing. Yeah. That's a lot of points in a top 20 matchup. I don't know if I would take that, um, but I think Tennessee wins outright. Yeah, I, I think Tennessee at this point has 
come this far uh, and really that win over Bama, I mean, we haven't really seen it against a good team yet, but I think they have the confidence now that they can hang with anybody uh, and beat anybody. That's, and I think that's the, what makes Tennessee so dangerous is that they have the explosive offense. They don't play defense, but they have the explosive offense and they have confidence and that confidence now can ride with them the rest of the season being like, we can beat anybody. It's working. What we have here is working. No matter who we play, we can, we can stick it to them and, and, and score 50 points. And it doesn't matter how much they score because they're not going to score as much as, as us. And I think that's the kind of mentality Tennessee is going to take into every single game. So Ryan, I'm curious to hear, does Kentucky have a shot to keep up with Tennessee? No. <laughs> um, you don't trust Will Levis? Shut up. Um, <laughs> no, I... Again, Kentucky hasn't scored more than 27 points against a Division One opponent this year. You're going to need to score 40-plus to be Tennessee. I don't care how good your defense is. They scored 50 on Bama. Yeah. Like you need like if you punt twice, you might lose. That's true. And so I don't trust Kentucky to have the offensive firepower. And I don't think Kentucky is a bad enough team to buy into the narrative that Tennessee might be overlooking them ahead of Georgia. I don't I think if Kentucky like if it were AM, I know we just talked to terrible things about Jimbo but if this were like A&M and it was like they've been bad and they're not ranked and they're not heralded but they have the talent on the roster I'd be scared yeah if I were Tennessee of like oh this we should we might need to take this team more seriously than we should I think Kentucky almost has the opposite effect of they are extremely well coached and absolutely maximizing pretty much everybody on their roster but you also know what you're going to get from them every time they show up yeah. And they are still a top 20 team with a first round with a first round predicted quarterback. They are not nearly unheralded enough for me to think Tennessee is overlooking them. And they are not nearly volatile enough for me to think that their top end play might catch Tennessee off guard. So t- Kentucky is just not. Kentucky is built for like the 15, 12 upset. They're built for like a 24-20 game. They're not built to keep up with like this, whatever that generally gestures at Knoxville is. And so I just think it's a bad matchup for Kentucky. I don't think they quite fit the mold of like a team that could catch Tennessee off guard. I don't think they quite fit the like upset mold. I, I don't see it. I just don't see it. I don't see them... I'm torn because I feel like if I had to predict a score with a gun to my head, I would predict something that meant Tennessee would cover, but I don't believe in that strongly enough to pick Tennessee to cover. Yeah. That's just a big spread, but yeah. It is a big spread. I see there's only like two offenses in the country right now that I think could guarantee you 30 points on any given Saturday, 30 points, like guaranteed without a doubt, 
they're going to score 30 points at the least. And right now it's Ohio State and Tennessee. Um, and that's just like the bare minimum. Like they're going to score 30. They're probably going to score more. I mean, Tennessee's averaging 50 a game. Um, and so like when I see this game, I think Kentucky will try their their hardest. I, I think like Ryan said, they haven't scored more than 27 against the D1 opponent. Um, and I think it'll be more of the same. I think they get to like 28. They might score four touchdowns, uh, but that won't be enough. I think it, it'll, it's more like a 38 to 28 kind of game uh, where Kentucky is, is might get one or two stops, but it's just, they can't keep up throughout this whole game, the way Tennessee uh, their possession works. They, they just go crazy. They go quick and they, they, um, It'll be a fight for four quarters, but I don't think Kentucky at the end of the day can keep up. Uh, so when I see 12 and a half, I think it's a big spread and I think Kentucky can easily cover it. I think they could keep it like a 10 point game, maybe even a touchdown game um, because they just have that grit and they, uh, they know how to win like ugly games. And they, that's, that's their key is making this an ugly game with Tennessee. Oh, is, is getting down in the trenches with them and making sure that Tennessee can't do what they want to do, which is be flashy and, and smooth in their offense. Oh, 12 and a half. I don't know where I saw 16 and a half somewhere. I think I was looking at a different game and just confused the two numbers. Yeah. Um, 12 and a half. I might pick Tennessee to cover. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, two touchdowns I could see definitely happening. Yeah. Which for uh, Kentucky, that's <laughs> Tennessee averages 50.1 points a game. Christ. Yeah. So like, like on any given Saturday, they will score 30. They will score 30. They're going to score more probably. So uh, it'll be interesting. Are there any other games this weekend out of the SEC that catch your eye, Michael, Ryan? Um, out of the SEC? Really. I was going to say my lock of the week is South Carolina minus four over Mizzou. Um, I don't understand that line at all. I think we, we only respect Mizzou on this podcast. We do, but we need to we need to respect South Carolina too. I think yeah. they're like like we were saying in the A and M segment as we got off on a tangent about how bad A and M is. South Carolina is a really good team too. Um, as long as they don't ask Spencer Rattler to do too much, they should easily cover a four point spread against Mizzou. So that's my lock. Yeah, Ryan, do you have a guest lock of the week this week? Uh, I'm one to know in this. You are. Uh, I have a lot on the line. Ryan, um, take Florida. No, a- <laughs> no, I can't agree with Jack. Um, <laughs> no. Um, I I looked at my only hesitation on South Carolina Mizzou is Mizzou has played in three straight one score games against teams, two teams at least that I think are pretty comparable to South Carolina. Um, and, or like Georgia is much better than South Carolina. Florida, from a talent level perspective, I don't think is that significantly different from South Carolina, and Auburn is much worse. So I don't really know what to make of Mizzou making three straight one score games or not Auburn. Um, who did they play last week? Vandy. Vandy is much worse. Sorry. Uh, they also had a one score loss against Auburn. So I don't really know what to make of Mizzou playing all four of those teams to one score. Um, but my I guess lock of the week is going to be Ole Miss minus two over AM. I think AM is a dumpster fire. 
I think people are buying a little too much on how bad Ole Miss looked against LSU in Baton Rouge against the offense that seems to be finding its footing somehow. Um, I, I, I think Ole Miss is much, much better than A&M. And I think A&M is not really in a mindset to overcome whatever is going on to cover it to like, if it, like A&M only gets up for Bama. And I think, I think Ole Miss uh, can take care of business there. Yeah. And, and two points is just too low for I, a, that. I agree. I think Ole Miss too, like we were saying, they might not have been the number 17 in the nation. They might be a little bit fraudulent in that sense, but they're still a good team. Like this yes. is a team. This is a team that very well could make a New Year's Six bowl game if if they all the cards fall correctly, um, and I I think they're much better than the two point spread against Texas A and M indicates. So I I like that. They lot. they weren't number seven. They they are fifteen. Like yeah, fifteen is fifteen is right. That's a very adequate ranking for them, I believe. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the SEC this week. Uh, not a whole lot going on other than Georgia, Florida, which we should see uh, potentially a Georgia blowout if the Vegas knows what they're doing. Um, so, Ryan, we appreciate having you on, as always. Uh, what is Thanks this? for putting up with my rambles. I don't what is this, your fourth appearance on the show now? I thought it was third, but it could be four. We're going to lose the track. But it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's too many, honestly. Yeah, no, right. We appreciate having you on. Uh, tell the people where they can find you on socials and, and what you're up to these days. Uh, yeah, so I am working with uh, doing most of my work with Atrium Magazine here in Florida, but I'm working with a couple other publications, a couple of smaller things. Uh, you can find most of my work and a lot of nonsensical football stats and general fandom of Rory McIlroy and Pat Mahomes uh, on my Twitter at Ryan underscore D Haley. Uh, and, uh, again, as Michael will surely plug as well, um, follow every alligator account, the alligator, alligator sports, everything to do with the alligator. They're great student journalists doing great work there. Um, good friend of ours, the sports editor, Joe Henry. I'm actually recording this podcast in his room. Shout out Joe. Um, so yeah, those are all the, all the plugs that I have. Yeah. And Michael, as always, tell the people where they can find you and what you're up to, what's going on. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Michael underscore Hall 33. I'm still plugging away over at the Alligator, um, hosting the sports podcast, which I plugged earlier in the show. Jack was like a dinosaur. Kind of, he was kind enough to uh, to come on the come on the pod, um, and so we just we talked about Florida Georgia exclusively. So if you Florida, want, Florida. if you want that talk without ryan's rants um go go listen to that pod um that, that's up on my twitter um <laughs> and then i you know i post a lot of sad jaguars things um some happy magic things they're zero and four but paulo bancaros looked really really good so that's all that matters okay paulo looks good and you're tanking for victor exactly it's yeah. perfect um well, yeah, philly's tanking there. for victor shut oh, up oh, shut oh, up um yeah Wem- so Wemby Ryan this is my segment shut up no um <laughs> yeah and like Ryan said follow alligator sports follow the alligator doing really good work over there support student journalism um Jack what do you have going on 
Oh yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Jack Duffy. I uh, I do the podcast stuff for Student Media Poll. Uh, you know, the Student Media Poll that presents this podcast. A uh, group of over 100 student journalists that come together every week and, and vote on football, women's and men's basketball, which those uh, polls will be coming out very soon. Uh, so go give them a follow at Student Media 25. I do their podcast stuff like this podcast here at Stud SEC SMP. Uh, yeah, and you follow me on Twitter at Jack Duffy. I tweet a lot about Georgia and Atlanta sports, uh, which more recently has been actually positive Falcons content, which I did not expect out of this season. They're a fun team. So I'm cautiously optimistic with them and hoping not to get hurt again, even though I will. Um, but yeah, so you can follow me there. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We will be back next week after Georgia beats Florida because they will. Uh, anyways, that sounds like a guarantee to me. I'm, I'm guaranteeing it. I, I don't care. We're ending this podcast. Whoa. I'm guaranteeing a Georgia uh, win over Florida. So Florida, bet the house on Florida. <laughs> you might at this point, at this point, but yeah, come back next week when we talk all, all things SEC recap week nine and, and preview week 10, we will see you guys next week.